We're going to open our Bibles up now to Hebrews chapter 10. We are covering a, a series here called Anchor Church Distinctives. Uh, last week, Pastor Mark preached on worship. Did he do a good job? Would you tell me if he bombed? I mean, would you really tell me? <laughs> no, Pastor Mark, it's great when he gets to shepherd us uh, and, and tell us what's on his heart, what's on God's heart about worship. We've covered prayer. We've covered the gospel. We've covered Jesus. We've covered preaching. And today we're going to talk in part about what it means to walk with Christ together. Um, and I don't know about you, but uh, I love the show Wipeout. How many of you have seen the show Wipeout? Raise your hand if you've seen that one with, with those red balls that you have to try and jump across. Whenever I see a little Wipeout video floating around on Facebook, I've got to stop what I'm doing and watch it. Uh, and there's a reason why I'm going to show this to you, but check out this video from the, the show Wipeout. Throughout time, engineers have built the Taj Mahal, the Great Wall of China, the Grand Canyon, and now the Here and here make the contestant look here when they really should be looking here. Oh. <laughs> ah, that's not all. Oh. Then they get up and do the same thing all over again. Now, I'm sharing that because that's a lighthearted introduction um, to a topic that's very heavy. But that, that video accurately portrays what it feels like at times to follow Christ. And I, as a pastor, I want to make sure that I don't create the wrong impression of the Christian life. All right, some pastors today are deceiving people into what Christianity will feel like if you actually make the radical decision to be a follower of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I just want to be crystal clear with you, that's what's coming, all right? There is a lot of pain, a lot of painful surprises, a lot of hindrances and obstacles and slip-ups and unexpected things. Uh, that's what's coming, and the sermon today is entitled, We Suffer Together. What is a distinctive of our church? Well, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that this life's going to have a lot of suffering. Not a little, a lot. And yet, I'm going to be encouraging, and I'm going to tell you that we're going to go through it together, not alone. Suffering will happen, but we will go through it together. Hebrews is written to people who are feeling spiritually lethargic. People who've been in the church for years but weren't growing. People who still struggle with the basics of behaviors and beliefs of the faith. Maybe you're discouraged and tempted to walk away. Maybe for you it's becoming harder and harder to become a Christian in your daily world. Maybe you need God to reassure you that following Jesus is, worse, is worth it. And surprise, one way he might revitalize your faith is the smack wall. One way he might shake you up and show you his power and his glory is a trip to the mud pit. One way he might show you the love that you desperately need uh, is the sweeper arm. And, and this is our God, and this is our faith. 
And I want to prepare you today for what it means to walk with Christ together in community. Some of you are suffering. Some of you just finished suffering and you're trying to make sense of what happened. Some of you, your day is about to come. But we will all suffer and the challenge is for our church, let's suffer together. Let's pray before we get into the word together. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word prepares us for truth and life. Thank you that you are honest with us about what will come. And Jesus, I remember what you said. In this world, you will have trouble. It's guaranteed, but you have overcome the world. So show us how we can suffer together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. You can go ahead and turn there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And the... The book of Hebrews is a sermon. The author of Hebrews is a pastor and an elder who's trying to both warn and encourage. Warn and encourage. This passage picks up an encouragement that comes right after one of the big warnings in the text. So he just warned us, and now he's going to encourage us and remind us. So here we are in chapter 10, verse 32, where it says this. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Now, before we go any further, notice that he says here, recall, recall the former days when after you were enlightened. What does that mean? That means that he's writing to people who had a conversion experience. Jot this down. Uh, number one, see the light. See the light. If, if you hope to make it through your trials and your sufferings together in community, you first have to make sure that you are actually a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything I'm about to share with you is for Christians alone. And if you aren't nailed down, if you aren't, if it's still foggy where you're at with Jesus and God, then nothing that I'm going to say here applies to you. You see, if you're a Christian, your pain serves God's purposes. But if you're not, the pain in your life is serving an entirely different purpose. Before you come to Christ, all the pain in your life, everything you have ever suffered is God's way of saying one simple thing over and over and over again. You need my son. You need, why did that happen? You need my son. How can that person? You need my son. Now that you need my son. My children, you need my son. It's the same message over and over and over and over again. You're right. You can't make it through this life without him. That's the purpose for all the suffering you've ever endured before you come to Christ. God has said, what would God say to me if he could talk? You need my son. You need my son. You can't make it through this life without my son. It's very simple. It's the billboard posted at every mile marker of your life. Now, maybe you have found Jesus Christ, but that's the question here. It assumes it's happened, or at least it assumes that they're assuming it's happened. It says, in the former days when after you were enlightened, enlightened. The word there in the Greek is uh, phototio. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like photo, right? Photo. And we get our word photograph from the Greek photos and graphos. You put them together and it's like light, paper, or writing. Light, writing. So you take what the light shows and you put it on a graph or a paper and you get a photograph. So photizo is meaning that something has enlightened, something has enlightened your soul. And Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light who's come down from heaven. And when you know Jesus, you can see God. Before you know Jesus, you can't see God. You can't see him. 
And yet Jesus came down to open blind eyes so that you once were blind, but now you can see. That might be the most insulting thing that you could have. What do you mean I can't see God? Of course I know God. Everyone knows God. You know? No, you can't see him. You're in total pitch darkness before the light of the world steps down and opens your eyes. Opens your eyes. Has Jesus opened your eyes? The eye is useless without light. If you walk outside on a really dark day out in the country, a really dark night out in the country, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. The eye is useless. It's only when there's light that the eye can actually show you what's around you. Now, spiritually, the truth here linking to this idea of enlightened with your eye, well, your soul can be enlightened to God. I was driving down 294 once, and I'm a, I wear contacts. Anybody else wear contacts? See, so I got something in my eye, and I'm like, oh, boy, that's not good. Then I got something in the other eye. And I'm like, ah! Okay, I fixed that problem real fast. All right, a lot of rubbing and scrubbing and peeling and whatever it took, because I'm on 294, and I can't see. Now listen, if you're going through life and the Bible's telling you without Jesus, you can't see. I would just challenge you to fix that problem really fast. Jot this down. Ask Jesus to save you. This is a portrait of salvation. The idea that you can have your eyes open after a season of blindness, the idea that you start this world spiritually blind means you need to be saved. Are you a saved person? Has Jesus opened your eyes? When did that happen? If you've been saved, let me ask you this question. Are you ready to discuss baptism? Are you ready to tell the world that Jesus has saved you? I want our heart as a church to grow in compassion for the persecuted church. So the reason why I wasn't here last weekend is over the last two weeks, Lauren and I went to, I went to two conferences. Lauren went to one of them with me. One of them was with RZIM, Ravi Zacharias, and they gave us their global update. Then we went to GCC, which is our church planning network, Great Commission Collective. And uh, that, that one then featured a global summit at the end. So here's a picture of me at the global summit with Pastor Alex there. Uh, and you can see me on the left. Pastor Alex is in the middle. Mike Kiowski is there on the left. In the middle, there's, there's uh, Pastor Timothy, and he's from Nepal. And I, I've known him for many years. And I said, Pastor Timothy, tell me what it's like in Nepal to get saved and baptized. And he said, oh. He's, he's so gentle when he talks. He says, oh, when you get saved... He said, we drive two hours away to baptize you. And I said, why? And he said, police. I said, oh, well, when do you do this? At night. You drive two hours away at night to baptize people? Yes. <laughs> and so what happens? We get there at dark. We go to the river and we baptize at midnight. I said, midnight? Yes. <laughs> No police. That's how he talks. All right. So listen, <laughs> this should humble you if you are prepared to talk about baptism, okay? I'm not asking you to come to the church at 10 p.m., drive two hours, get baptized at midnight in a frigid cold river, and then return to the church at 2 a.m. All right. How many of your relatives would show up for that? So... What are you afraid of? I mean, just ask yourself that. If you've kind of been putting it off, I would just really invite you to consider getting baptized this year. I know it can be intimidating to stand up 
you know, and to share your faith. And we help you with that. We help you write your little speech. It's a great opportunity for you to witness. And man, my, my friend, Pastor Timothy, really encouraged me that I know it can be scary to share your faith, but goodness, in this country, we're free. But, you know, what are, really, what are we afraid of? So number one, see the light. Ask Jesus to save you. And I'd invite you to get baptized to show people that he has saved you. Number two, jot this down, remain steadfast under trial. So now that we've established he's talking to Christians who are uh, professing their faith, it says in verse 32, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Now, it just doesn't seem like those two words go together, right? Enlightened, endured. How do those go together? Given light, given pain. Saved, suffering. The church is brand new. You would think if Jesus wanted it to grow quickly, like generation 1.0 of Christians, he'd go easy on them. I'm going to make it real easy for the church to grow quickly because, you know, I don't have a lot of followers to lose, so I'm going to, nope, nope. He made it hard. They had to remain steadfast under trial, and the author here is reminding them of something that already happened. He's using their example to encourage them. Hey, remember when this happened? And, and we are then being encouraged by their example as well. Remember, when you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We're remembering this. They were steadfast under trial, and he wants them to remember that so that they can do it again. Why do we suffer? Why would God give us light and then give us pain? Well, the only way we know if your faith is authentic, if it's been tested. If your faith has been tested, we know it's true. If you've walked the aisle or prayed a prayer or taken a class or whatever, we don't actually know for sure. We assume it's true, but we don't actually know for sure if your faith is genuine until it's tested. So faith is tested for a few reasons. The testing proves that it's real faith, and the testing perfects that faith. The, the testing reveals that it's genuine, because if life gets hard and you're like, I'm done with this Jesus, he couldn't even prevent my car from breaking down. If that's your heart, you're not saved. But, so, so it reveals that your faith is true or false, but it also refines it. Wow, this Christian life is hard. Wow, this is painful. Yeah, I, need, I still need Jesus. He didn't just save me. He needs to help me. Yeah. So it reveals that your faith is real, and it refines it at the same time. The word here for hard struggle, you had a hard struggle is a thesis. What does that sound like? Athlete, athletic. And this is where we get our word for being an athlete. Or, and, the, and the word uh, caught all these ideas of having an athletic contest, a game, a struggle, a fight. And when I think of a, a fight, I think of like boxing, right? Hard struggle. Like you were in a boxing match. And here's a picture of a boxer just getting, just getting tagged right on the jaw. Pow! You were in that. But guess what? They came through. Check out this next picture. They came through. <laughs> that guy is like, ouch. Look at that eye. Ouch. And uh, the author's reminding them, hey, remember that? Remember that when you got pummeled and then you, 
You prevailed. And maybe, that, maybe that's happening again for them. And he's giving them perspective. Maybe you feel like you're in a hard struggle right now. Why do I feel like I'm in gym class? I feel like life is wearing me out. I feel like people are chasing me and trying to tackle me right now. Where's God? Maybe you're in a hard struggle right now. It says here you were publicly exposed. Hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed. That word in the Greek is theatrizo. Theatrizo. It sounds like theater. We got our word for theater from that, and it means to be brought on stage like a spectacle. To be, to be made a stage show. You, you, were, you were put in front of people publicly and mocked. They made, it, they made a joke out of you and your faith. When I think of this idea of being brought on stage to be mocked, I think of like the Hunger Games series. Here's a picture from how they would bring them on this show before, they'd, before everyone who watched them go off to die. They'd bring them on this show and ask them questions and seem to sympathize with them. And you can see the look on her face where she's just like, I am a spectacle. Like, you're bringing me up here to enjoy my destruction. And there's a lot of that going on now. Our faith is treated like a comedy. And there are some who are even seeing Christianity and our beliefs and our behaviors as potentially criminal and harmful and harassing to other people, and we're becoming more of a spectacle. You're one of those cartoons that are still left over from the Stone Age. And then comes reproach. That word means defamation. We live in a day where people aren't just scoffing at you under their breath. There's social hysteria. And they go on social media, and teenagers know all too well that there's no such thing as privacy anymore. If anything happens and it gets out, the whole school knows about it by the time you get home. And then comes the mocking, and then comes the ridicule. And people seem to delight in ruining you these days. And then comes the affliction. After You can only take so much of this, and the word affliction means to be squeezed or forced or pressured or coerced to what? To what? To comply, to conform, to just shut up already, to just follow everyone else around. The pressure, the pressure. It's amazing how the world hasn't changed since the first century. Doesn't that sound like today? Just be quiet about this faith of yours already. They remained steadfast under trial. They went through all of this, and they actually came out the other end, and now they're going to do it again. What do we learn from them remaining steadfast under trial? Jot this down. Surrender all. How should we suffer? Surrender all. They laid down their reputation. They laid down their security. They laid down their possessions, their property, their comfort, their freedom. Now, primarily here, their struggle was persecution. There's many trials that could... But the principles we're learning here apply to any trial you go through, a health scare financial crisis, a relational blowout, all of these principles apply to your pain and your suffering. But their, their pain was coming from persecution, the fear of that. They surrendered all. It says here, you had compassion on those in prison. So some went to jail for their faith. They lost their freedom. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They lost things. They had to leave houses behind. They, they were robbed. Things were taken from them. They were, they were singled out. And they did it joyfully since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So they surrendered all. 
They laid down their property, their comfort, their freedom. And let me ask you a question. Would you surrender everything to follow Christ? Would you? Would you surrender everything to follow Christ? The correct answer is not yes. The correct answer is I already have. That's what it means to follow Christ. In Luke 14, 33, Jesus said, anyone, anyone who doesn't surrender all he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus expects you to surrender everything to him moment one of your salvation. Now, he doesn't show up and grab it all from you at once, but the rest of your life, you're showing what's already taken place. And when he points to something and says that, you're like, it's yours. That, yours. Your help, yours. Money, yours. Kids, yours. The rest of your life, you're showing what's already taken place, that you've surrendered all. Here's a picture from the RZIM conference, and they do a good job of ministering in the, in the persecuted church and in the world. And in Nigeria in particular, the Muslim militants have taken over the government, the local government. So they'll go Christian neighborhood to Christian neighborhood and just chase all the Christians out, take over their homes. Sometimes they'll abuse the women there. Sometimes they'll kill the men. And they have free reign. The government will not stop them. And here's another picture. Uh, here's Ravi with a bunch of people there. And one of the things they do is they make it that one of their goals is to be in the persecuted nations helping the persecuted church. So Michael Ramsden, one of their leaders, has gone to Nigeria a few times now, and he shared great stories about how he sat down with an imam uh, in one of the most violent areas of Nigeria and talked with him for two hours about faith in Christ. And the guy asked him to come back again next year. And so it seems like God's really opening some doors there. Um, but one of the local church leaders went to Great Britain to meet the queen while he was gone, the local militant Muslims came to his house, uh, raided his house, uh, shot his wife, and, um, and, and stole everything. His wife survived. He came home, and his wife was in the hospital. And after three months, she came too. And her eyes opened, and he said, I've got great news, honey. The Queen of England herself has given us asylum in Great Britain. She said, we can't leave our country. We can't leave our country. We can't leave our church. We can't leave our children. They stay. They stay. They know every day they've got to wake up wondering if they're going to make it through the day. And I'm so encouraged when I see our brothers and sisters in other countries. They don't have freedom. They don't have, they don't have the, the promise of the day. And it's the whim of the local violent youths that determines if they make it. Hey, have you surrendered all? If you'd like to grow in your compassion for the persecuted church, we've got a book in our bookstore. Uh, you can check it out. It's called God Smuggler. It's about Brother Andrew who brought, uh, brought Bibles into the, uh, behind the Iron Curtain back in the 50s, I believe. And he, his faith and his determination to get God's word into these countries despite their lack of freedom will show you what it's like to live in a truly persecuted country. Hey, have you surrendered all? Have you surrendered all? Jot this down. Surrender all and stay together. In verse 34, it says here, you became, you became partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison. So it was, a, it was a together thing. Stay together. Remain steadfast under trial. How? Surrender all and stay together. 
Stay together. Locally, stay together with your church family. Globally, stay in touch with one another. Remember those who are in prison, the Bible says. Locally and globally, this is not a let's build our own little silo here and let's come on Sunday and gather then go home and not see each other the rest of the week. The Christian life is a team effort. So we have to stay together. Do you remember when your kids were young, if you have children, and you'd go to the zoo and you'd, you'd tell them what? Stay, stay together, stay together. We once lost our son at the zoo. Losing him at the mall was one thing. He just ran into a candy store and he shoplifted a sucker and came out right away. And then there was this little low-speed chase between him and the uh, clerk who caught him. But when you lose a child at the zoo, immediately you're like, he's in the lion enclosure being eaten right now. And it lasted only a minute or two. We found him, but oh my goodness. So the idea is this life is like a zoo. We got to stay together. We have to stay together or we're going to get devoured. Satan looks for the one who has isolated himself, the one who's weak and wounded and all alone. That's the one that he can get. We have to stay together. There are many people in our church right now going through trials. Small groups are our primary way to know you and to love you. And if you're in a small group, you know that this is true, but that's how we care for you. There was one woman in a women's Bible study last week, and they just so happened to throw out the question, when you're in the hospital, what type of person are you? Do you like visitors or do you not like visitors? And she's like, oh, I love visitors. Well, guess what? She's in the hospital this week. And guess what happened? A parade of women came to visit her. Didn't even know she'd end up in the hospital, and boom. Oh, yeah, I love visitors. And she's in the hospital, and so suddenly she gets all these visitors. But that's her church family coming through, checking on her. I was at this GCC conference, and um, I'm not one who kind of is really emotionally needy. If you know me, I'm not like one who like tells everyone all of my feelings all the time, right? Um, but, but I was at this conference, and I've been to lots of conferences, and so I was getting my coffee, and there were two guys who I'd never met before, and they're like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, uh, okay. And they're like, what's going on? I'm like, um... And it's just really weird. And I'd never met them before. So I was like, yeah, it's been a rough year. And I told them some of the things. And they're like, can we pray for you? And I'm like, sure. So they prayed for me. I'm usually the one praying for people. But they're, now they're praying for me. It felt kind of good, you know. And so then I'm walking around. And uh, this pastor I've known for a long time, as I'm walking, walks up and stands right in front of me. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? He goes, are you doing okay? And I'm like, well, it's been a rough year. Tell you, he's like, can I pray for you? I'm like, sure. Go ahead. You can do it. And then the next day, the two guys who I met on the first day, one of the guys came up to me again. And he's like, how you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I told you yesterday. And he's like, I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm like, thank you. And now I'm feeling a little weird. Like, do I have a sign on my back? Like, pray for me? You know, <laughs> somebody taped something on me. And then like the last session is over at the conference and the two people in front of me, pastor and his wife who I've known for a long time, they just turn around and they're like, hey, can we pray for you? And I'm like, all right, Lord, <laughs> you are determined to get me some prayer, so I'm going to receive, why doesn't everybody just gather around me and pray for me right now? <laughs> they did, they were just sitting there asking me questions and it's like, it's like the body knew, it's like the body of Christ knew that I really needed some extra prayer at this conference. That never happened at a conference before. And I think God will show you that the way he wants to be there for you is look around. Look around. And if you push these people away, you know, yeah, he can speak to you through his word and in prayer. But look, this is the body. This is the way he's going to get you the care that, that you need. Here's another picture from that global summit. 
and I met uh, the pastor from Chennai, India. He is to the right. His name is Paul, and he and his wife Molly planted a church in Chennai, India many years ago, and you know, after I was feeling pretty good that I got prayed for about my problems, I met with him, and I was like, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, not so good. He's like, you know, we've got four biological children, and then we adopted 19 girls because they were going to be left for dead. In India, you can just do that with girls if you have girls. And he's like, and, you know, the government's radical Hindus. They want to take our girls away. So we had to split them up and hide them. And I just am really worried that they might be found. And I'm like, can I pray for you? <laughs> like, I don't I didn't want to talk about my problems anymore, right? And that's the chain reaction that happens. God ministers to you, and then you want to minister to other people. You've got to stay together. You've got to surrender all. Jot this down, and you have to stay joyful. It says here, they didn't just do it, fine, fine, I'll go through this. It says here, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, verse 34. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That means your better possession is you have Christ, you have salvation, you have his kingdom, nothing else compares to that. You don't really need anything else from this world except that. I like a quote from A.W. Tozer, that we'll put up on the screen. He said this, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will, listen, never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss for having the source of all things he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he now has it all in one. And he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. Hey, in Christ is every blessing in the spiritual realm. We've got it all. What can the world do to us? I'm not saying we're happy about the pain or the trial. We're happy about God's plan for the pain and his presence in the trial. That's what we're happy about. Number one, see the light. Number two, remain steadfast under trial. Number three, jot this down, because God will reward your faith. Because God will reward your faith. It goes on in verse 35 to say this, therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. Do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. That idea of throwing it away, throwing it away like garbage is what we're not supposed to do. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, now he quotes from Isaiah 26, 20 to 21, mixed with Habakkuk 2, 3 to 4. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The idea here is back in the Old Testament, Israel was waiting for the coming judgment and the wicked would be punished and the righteous would be saved. They had to live by faith. That This verse is so crucial in the New Testament. This idea of my righteous shall live by faith, that's the theme verse of all of Romans. If you look in the first few chapters of Romans, that's what Paul builds the entire book of Romans on. It's by faith, not by work. We will live by faith. And the idea here is the only way you're, we are going to get through our struggles is by faith. The only way we're going to walk through this trial is by faith. You're not going to see how it's going to end. You've got to walk and trust Jesus anyway. In Hebrews 11:6 it says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Jot this down. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. I I brought a garbage can up here on stage because this idea of throwing something away is something that I want you to see, not just here, but uh, don't do this with your faith. What do we throw away? Old water bottle? Trash. Christmas ornament? that Trash. I don't need any more baskets. Trash. There's cardboard. You know, I've got an empty Kleenex box. Garbage. Put together some furniture and some leftover pieces. And oh, this. Hey, is this what you're tempted to do? Trash. The author in Hebrews is like, that's not trash. The promises of God, the reward of faithfulness, the ending that you know you want, don't, don't do this. Some of you are tempted because of your pain. This is treasure. So many of our problems in the world come because we turn trash into treasure and treasure into trash. Right? The world's world's full of trash. It's all shiny. But it's trash. God's word is treasure. Don't throw it away. Don't throw away your confidence. Why? It says here you've got a great reward, verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence. You have a great reward. In the Greek there, the idea is two words. Megas, you know what mega means, right? Mega, labor wage, big paycheck. And this is where the prosperity preachers lie to you and promise, oh, you're going to get your car, you're going to get your money, you're going to get your family. No, that's trash, trash. It's going to be worth it in the end because the treasure, Christ, will prevail. And God will bless you, and he will answer you, and he might heal you, and he will provide for you, and whatever happens, he's going to send you into glory. Don't throw away your confidence. Jot this down. Cling to God's promises. He quotes the word here. God's promises, God's word. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. Where do we learn the will of God? Where do we learn the promise of God? From God's word. And so he quotes it. Yet a little while, just a little while, the coming one will come. He will not delay. He's taking forever. It's going to happen. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Encouragement. Walk through this trial by faith. Warning. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Don't quit. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Hey, look at the next chapter. This is the Hall of Faith, chapter 11. The author's about to go into Abraham, and he's going to start talking about Moses, and he's going to to give you all these people who have run by faith through all these hard things, and he's like, hey, listen, don't quit. Don't shrink back. Cling to God's promises in community together. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says this, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
Hey, I want you to leave here today knowing that God has a plan for your pain. One of the speakers at our conference this last week shared a powerful illustration with me, and I want to share it with you. There's a new song by Andy Grammer out. There's no reason to believe he's a Christian, just a songwriter. But he wrote a song called, I Wish You Pain. You might think he was writing that about his enemies, right? I wish you pain. He said in an interview, people assume this song was written about his enemies, but he said, it's a love song. I promise. Here's the lyrics. I hope your doubts come like monsters and terrorize your dreams. I hope you feel the lonely hopelessness because no one else believes. I hope you question whether you ever really had a chance at all. I hope your fear is thick like poison. It gets into your blood. I hope you push until you cannot breathe. And it's still not enough. I hope you put your life out on the line and everybody watches while you fall. Because I love you more than you could know. And your heart, it grows every time it breaks. I know that it might sound strange, but I wish you pain. I hope people break their promises, leave you in the cold. I hope they beat your heart to pieces worse than you've ever known. I hope you finally arrive only to find you're nowhere close. I hope you cry and tears come streaming down your face. I hope this life traps you in more than you thought you could ever take. I hope the help you want never comes and you do it on your own. Because I love you more than you could know. And your heart, it grows every time it breaks. I know it might sound strange, but I wish you pain. This is a not, it's not a Christian, but he has figured out how love and pain work together. And the Christian could add to this song, your faith, your faith, it grows every time your heart breaks. God wishes you pain for your good. And that's why we suffer together. Bring your pain to God. He has a plan for all of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you minister to us. You are near near to the brokenhearted. You are close to the contrite in spirit. When we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And my prayer is that you administer to those, Jesus, minister to those who just feel broken right now. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's something mental. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's relational. Whatever it is, I pray that people would bring their pain to you. I pray that they would not run or flee or fight you, but that they would humbly bear up under the pain that you have brought into their lives. I pray that they would walk by faith, not by sight. I pray that they would trust that just as you have broken apart, you can bind up. Just as you have uprooted, you can plant. We know, Lord, that there is a time when faith will be tested. And for those who are in that test right now, I pray that they would just not throw away their confidence. May they not throw away their faith, their church, their Bible. May their faith become stronger and brighter and deeper than ever before. We pray this in your name.